Sunday morning. Amen. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do throughout this, throughout this Sunday. Uh, I just want to echo what was already said. Welcome to all of our guests in the house this morning. Rock Church, why don't we give them a nice warm welcome. We're thankful that you joined us. Now, Bishop Williams is out of town today, so... I know he regrets not being able to be here to meet every one of you. He sends his love, sends his regards. Um, if it hasn't already been said, I'll go ahead and say it. There's, you should have been given a, uh, a VIP card that allows you access to the back. There's a red carpet right over there for the first time guests. If you haven't gotten one, raise your hand and we'll be sure to get you one. Um, we want to meet you. We want to fellowship with you. We want to get to know you. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, welcome home. Come on, you found the right place this morning. Amen. You hit the jackpot this morning. Amen. Uh, as we're standing all over this house, um, going straight to the word of the Lord, reading from 2 Kings chapter 4, just want to say it's a privilege and an honor to be behind this desk. Thank you, Bishop, for trusting me believing in me. Um, I feel like God has a word for us in this house. Amen. I just want to be just want to be sensitive enough to to say what he's given me. 2 Kings chapter 4 beginning at verse 1. When you have it say amen. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me. What hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Save a pot of oil. Then... He said, go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all the vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, 
sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Then I want to take your attention over to the book of Acts. Be a pretty familiar passage of scripture. Book of Acts, chapter number 2, verse 38. The Bible simply reads, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And for just a few moments, I want to talk to us today about the solution to an empty life. Look at your neighbor and say, the solution to an empty life. Why don't we put our Bibles down and lift our hands and ask the Lord to meet us. God, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing in this house. I pray that you'd have your way in this place. Move like never before. We're hungry. We're thirsty for a touch from heaven. God, if you do nothing else, I pray that you would stir the waters of baptism. God, I pray that you would bring people to the altar of repentance. Draw us closer to you, Jesus. We've come to lift you up so that you might draw all men unto you. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We are living in the last days. I feel like for a while, that's pretty much how you can open up every message. In the day and age we're living in, things are getting crazy. What has once been considered right is now being considered wrong. And what was once considered wrong is now being looked at as right. Up is now down, down is now up. Left is right and right is left. This world is in dire need of a savior. Sometimes when I get on Instagram, and Lord knows, <laughs> I'm about to just cut it off completely. But you get on Instagram and you don't have to scroll very much. You don't have to go very many clicks away to see that this world is crazy. You don't have to look very far to see that there's unrest just about around every corner. But then after a while, I feel like Paul, when he wrote in his letter to the church, he said, I have determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul got the report and said the church was, in our lingo, we say the church was wilding. Church was acting a fool. They were acting up. The gifts of the spirit were out of order. People were partaking in crazy forms of fornication. They were worshiping idols. It was an utter mess. And yet he opened up his letter with, I have determined to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how I feel in this house today. I don't care what's going on in the world. I don't care how desperate things may seem. I don't care how dark the world may look. I have determined within myself to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ. The only important thing, I'm going to get right to the punchline. The most important thing that you can be worried about in this day and this hour is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The only thing that matters in this day, the only thing that has any importance in this hour is the blood of Jesus. Is the sacrifice of the lamb. That's what I'm going to preach to you this morning. I'm going to preach to you the gospel. And I know if I don't get help from anybody else, brother and sister Pack will be right there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, 
which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. The gospel of Jesus is simply this, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the gospel message. That is the good news. When you talk about the gospel, you can't talk about it unless you talk about the birth. The birth of Jesus. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government, everybody say the government. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Can I tell you today that nothing happens in our society without the Lord knowing about it. Let me take it a step further. Nothing happens in our world without his permission. You know, I started reading. I can't remember where it's at. But the Bible says that he created principalities. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against. We're wrestling against something that God created. Which means he has the power over it already. How many have read the end of the book? We win already. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against something that's already defeated. We're contending with something that's already defeated. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Jews were waiting for a king that would be born into them that was going to ride in on a white stallion. And they were going to have an army. He was going to have an army behind him. Of thousands of shoulders, soldiers, not shoulders, soldiers. He's going to have an army of soldiers. He was going to have infantry and cavalry, or cavalry. <laughs> he actually didn't, you know, cavalry did come later. But he had cavalry. That's what they wanted. That's what they were expecting. When you read throughout the, the New Testament, you hear about zealots. These were the people that were looking for that savior. They were looking for the man. They said, I want to join his armies. I want to overturn the, the powers of Rome. And they were looking for an earthly kingdom to be established. They were looking for something earthly. They were looking horizontal. And they couldn't even see that when Mary came in on a donkey and her husband was right next to her. That was the king of the Jews. It wasn't going to be some king riding on a white stallion with pl platoons of army, platoons of men behind him. It was going to be a savior that came lowly, that came humbly. They were looking for the kingdom Christ, and yet they missed the suffering Christ. They must have missed that in the scriptures where the Bible says by his stripes we would be healed. They wouldn't, didn't want to hear about the lame that would have been slain for their sins. What point is it having a king that was going to come just to die? What was the point of having a king that was going to come riding, riding in with armies behind him that was just coming to die? They missed it. It was foretold that there would be a king of the Jews that would save the people. He would be the Messiah that would come to deliver the people from their oppressors. Isaiah 7 and 14 says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. They waited hundreds of years for a savior. They were oppressed by enemies. They were continuously in captivity. And they were looking for something that God had not promised them right away. He said that it would be through a virgin. He said that they would come lowly. Genesis 3 and 15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It was a baby. Which is why when they told Herod that there was a king, they told him there's a king of the Jews. The last thing he expected was for there to be born a king of the Jews. He expected someone to come in and and just kind of kick the doors down and say, all right, this is how we're doing things from now on. But little did he know that it was a baby, which is why he sent, frantically, he sent them out to go kill all the two-year-olds, boys, two-year-olds, two years old and under. The gospel of Jesus is about his life and his death. The life Jesus lived was just as, if not as important, if not more important than his death. You want to know who agrees with me? Samuel. When he looked at Saul, I believe it was more than him just looking at Saul and telling him that obedience was better than sacrifice. I believe he was looking at Saul and he was giving a messianic prophecy that would ring out throughout the ages that obedience was better than sacrifice. Let me explain. Jesus' sacrifice would have been made of none effect if he didn't live a life of complete obedience. His life was sinless. There were thousands of people that died on crosses. There were thousands of people that were martyred. And yet every single one of them had something in common. They deserved it. Every single one of them had something in common. They were sinful. And yet, he he took the punishment that we deserved. He took the punishment that you and that I deserved. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. Our sin makes us worthy of death. Jesus took that on the cross. And just like they did in the Old Testament where they had to offer up up a sacrifice for their sins, Jesus became that sacrifice for our sins. He became the scapegoat for you and me. They would take that goat and they would place their hands on it. And the the priest would, would place all the sins of him himself and all the people onto that goat and that goat would just wander in the wilderness and that goat was a representation of all of the people's sins Jesus became our scapegoat he put he took upon himself the sins of the world and nailed it nailed it to a tree before he even create before the creation process even began he had a plan to redeem humanity 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What's the word of reconciliation? The gospel message. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin. For us, he who knew no sin, that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came into this world and lived a completely perfect life. And yet in the end, he took 
sin onto his shoulders. He took the sins of the world and became sin for you and me and took it and nailed it to a cross. Isaiah 53 and verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our for my transgressions he was bruised for our for my iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth. Skipping down to verse 8 says, For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was an innocent man. He was a perfect man that took upon himself the sins of the world. Yet it pleased, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I never understood that growing up. We would have to learn the scripture. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. What kind of a cruel God would do that? Come down in flesh and just, and, and for no reason it seemed. But when you think about it. He became cursed. He became sin. When you're looking at the cross and you're looking at that day, Calvary, and you're looking at him walking up Golgotha's hill with stripes down his back, you see, you picture in your mind's eye Jesus stumbling as he's walking. They put a, a crown of thorns into his head. They bring him up to the hill and they put him on the cross and they nail his hands into the cross. Uh, historians say the nails were probably about nine inches Nine inches long and about a quarter of an inch thick. They nailed his hands to the cross. They nailed his feet to the cross. When you're looking at that, you're looking at the spirit aside. The mocking, the mockery that they did, the spitting that they did. You're looking at God's punishment on sin. You're looking at the way God looks at sin. He detests it. He hates it. And so Jesus came down to earth, became sin, and took that sin to the cross. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He knew no sin and yet became sin so that he could take it and nail it to the cross. Hebrews 10, 10, 10 says, by the which we will, we, we will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The life and death of Jesus are very, very important when we talk about the gospel. The burial of Jesus is just as important. Matthew 12 and 38. The scribes and the Pharisees are looking for a sign. And he answers them and said, An evil and adulterous generation 
seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The only sign that Jesus said they would receive is that he would be buried for three days and that three days later he would rise again. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Wherewith he said, wherefore he said, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is also the same that ascended up far above the, all heavens, that he might fill all things. He had to die. And he had to be buried so that he could go down into hell. And so that he could go. In my mind, I'm sorry. I imagine it kind of like an assembly line. The bodies go down to hell. And they're just going. And you can see death. He's looking over. And he's seeing, yeah, this person was a liar. And he pushes him on down. Yeah, this person was a cheater. Pushes him on down. And then a body comes down the chute. And he's looking at it. He can't see any sin. He's looking at it and he can't find. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like we are but without sin. He was looking for a sinful body. He was looking for a sin-filled. He was looking for a body riddled with promiscuity and, and riddled with lies and riddled with, with, with cheating and malice and hatred. And he couldn't find any because his life was perfect. And because his life was perfect, because death and hell had no power over his body, he rose again on the third day. Death looked at the body of Jesus and said, I can't do anything with it. I can't take it anywhere. It's perfect. There's no sin anywhere. I've got to go ahead and release it. And so three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Are you thankful in this house that the Lord didn't stay in the grave? Are you thankful in this place that the Lord didn't stay down? Three days later, he got up with all power in his hand. He got up with the keys of death and hell in his hand. It had to be fulfilled that he filled all things. As a seed falls to the earth in death, that's the death. It's buried in the earth. That's the burial. And it's raised again with new life. That's the resurrection of Jesus. At the end of it all, he had to show that he possessed all power. I'm thankful we serve a victorious God. I'm thankful we serve a God that's victorious. Not a man-made God that's got a track record of defeat. Not a man-made God that doesn't have a history of victory. But a God that has all power in his hand. And he proved it just a little more by stepping into, into hell and grabbing the keys. It's not enough, though, to just be thankful for the gospel. It's not enough to just be thankful for the, for the birth of Jesus. And I'm thankful that he came as a man. 
I'm thankful that a perfect God left his throne, left perfection, left peace, left tranquility, and came into our earth filled with turmoil. I'm thankful that he took upon himself the form of a servant and became like you and me. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the life that he lived. I'm thankful for the miracles that he performed. I'm thankful that we can go back into, into, our, into the Bible and we can look at all the man, many miracles that Jesus performed. And we can look at all the teachings that he gave us. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for his death. I'm thankful for his burial. And I'm thankful for his resurrection. But it's not enough to just be thankful. It's not enough to just look at it and say, wow, that's a great story. It's not enough to come on Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and say, man, that's a really great story. It's not enough. Jesus wants more from you. Jesus wants to live inside of you. Jesus is interested in a relationship. It's not enough to just be thankful. You've got to apply it to your life. Do I have any apostolics uh, that have followed the gospel message? I'm thankful that he came down and shed his blood for me. Woo. Romans 6 and 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us, uh, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The story doesn't end at his death. The story doesn't even end at his resurrection. The story continues over into the book of Acts where they're there and God said, go and tarry in Jerusalem. But the story doesn't even end there. They come to Peter and they say, what is going on? These men are drunk with new wine. And Peter stands up on that day of Pentecost and he gives them the gospel message. And at the end of it all, they look at him and they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? What must we do to be saved? He's talking to them and he's saying, you were the ones that killed him. You may not have been there, but I crucified Jesus. You crucified Jesus. Before he rescued me, I was a sinner. Before he rescued me, I was a liar. I was a cheater. I had anger. I had, I had hatred. I hated everybody. I hated the world. There's no secret formula. There's no cheat sheet. There's no, there's no secret lock. There's no, it's plain and simple. Peter stood up and said, yeah, I was the same way. I denied Jesus three times after walking with him for three years and seeing firsthand all of his miracles, witnessing firsthand all of his testimonies. For three years I walked with Jesus and I still crucified him too. They said, well then, where does that leave him? What hope is there? They came to him. I haven't forgot what I'm preaching. They came to him with empty lives. They came to him. Some people may not be empty. Some people may be broken. But they came and they brought their empty lives and they say, what do we have to do to be saved? And his answer was simple. Repent. 
turn away from your sin. Turn away from it. Forsake it. Repent means to make a, a 180 degree turn and to turn away from it completely and walk in the other direction. God, I'm sorry for, for the way that I've been. I'm sorry for the life that I lived. But don't just apologize for it. Ask for forgiveness and turn away and never go back to it. You know, I wasn't always this way, but I've turned into a little bit of a nerd when it comes to school. Partly because I guess I work at the school. But if, is Christine here? I don't know if she's here or not. If you were to go 179 degrees, so, so imagine it with me. A circle is 360 degrees, right? If we're here and we were to go 179 degrees, it's pretty much pointing down, right? 180 degrees would be exact opposite of 360, pointing straight down. 179 looks like it's pointing straight down. But that one degree difference, that one degree difference years down the road will be miles apart. It's not enough to just get rid of a couple things. It's not enough to just get rid of lying. It's not enough to just drop the cigarettes. It's not enough to just... It's not enough to just stop hating people. It's not enough to let go of bitterness. You've got to let go of everything. You've got to let go of everything and turn completely away from sin. He said you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. I was studying this. And I was just curious. I know what baptism means. But I was just curious to see what the definition they had. And um, it's not an apostolic definition. They had two different definitions. They said one way is you can be sprinkled. Another way is immersion. When you look up that word, baptism, it literally means to fully immerse. And that was the apostolic way. It wasn't until years later where they decided, eh, you know, we can, we can do a little something different. And it wasn't until years later where they decided to change the formula. There's, I've been hearing about, there's this new wave going around where they're saying, no, it's, it's okay because those were founding fathers of the gospel, or they were founding fathers of the church. Not any church that I'm familiar with. Tertullian in the Council of Nicaea, that I, I don't, I'm not familiar with them in the book of Acts. I'm not familiar with that method in the book of, I don't read anywhere where they, where they baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Or should I say the titles. I don't read that anywhere. I hate to burst your bubble and I really don't mean to offend, but that is not biblical. It is not biblical to baptize. If you're going to baptize in the, in the name of the Father, Son, you might as well baptize in the name of the Lamb. You might as well baptize in the name of, of the resurrected one, in the name of... There is importance in the name. Get Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 for me on the screen. Most of us already know it. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other. That means if somebody comes to you preaching some other way. If somebody comes to you preaching some other name. Somebody comes to you preaching some other form, some other doctrine, some other... There is ne neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men 
whereby we must. It's not a suggestion. It's not a thought process. You must be saved by the name of Jesus. Your auntie can't do it. Your uncle can't do it. Muhammad can't do it. Buddha can't do it. Krishna won't cut it. Allah won't do it. It has to be in the name of Jesus. And then he tells them, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You shall receive the free gift of God's Spirit. It breaks my heart to see young young Christians nowadays so confused as to, as to what the Holy Ghost is. Evidence of you having the Holy Ghost, I do believe, is the fruit of the Spirit, Brother Michael. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you will have the fruit of the Spirit. Or you should, or else I don't know what Holy Ghost you got. When you get the Holy Ghost, you will learn to bridle your tongue. When you get the Holy Ghost, you will have, you will have the authority to, to have pure thoughts. When you get the Holy Ghost, you do have that authority. But let me tell you something, the sign... The sign, the evidence that you have the Holy Ghost is still speaking in other tongues. It hasn't changed. The evidence of other tongues is still the sign that you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed to speak in tongues. Nowadays, you got a lot of churches that say, no, 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 no. When we pray, go ahead and go into the prayer room if you're going to speak in tongues. Go ahead and go into the prayer room or come, come to church beforehand having spoken in tongues. No, 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 no. When they were up in that, in that upper room, they heard them speaking other languages. They heard them speaking in tongues. And if you read a little further down, the Bible says that 3,000 were added to the church. You better never be ashamed to speak in tongues in this house. You better never be ashamed to open up your mouth and let God speak through you. You never know who's going to be hearing you and who's going to say, what's that? That sounds like something I've never heard before. You never know who's going to come down and say, I want what they got. I want what Sister Tabitha has. She's speaking in a language I've never heard before. And she's got joy. She's got peace. She's got a sound mind. Let's stand in this house. Come on, somebody do it right now. Come on, somebody pray in the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, pray. Pray in the Holy Ghost right now. Pray like the devil wants you to shut up. Pray like the devil wants you to be quiet. Pray like somebody's soul is in the balance. Jesus. Jesus. Woo. Jesus, Jesus. Woo. Jesus. The man of God told the woman, 
that she needed to bring her empty vessels into the room. Pour out what she already possessed into those vessels. Now the Bible tells her, the Bible says that he told her to go get more empty vessels. But I believe she already had some empty vessels. All she had left was the pot of oil. But she had some vessels in that house. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just feel empty. When I came to God, when God rescued me, I was empty. When God saved my soul, I was empty. I was longing for something more. She had just a little bit of, of oil. Sometimes all it takes is just a little bit of faith. You might have lost everything else. You might, you might be at the end of your rope, but if you just got a little bit of faith left, if you go ahead and pour that out, if you go ahead and just pour that out before God, if you shut away all the, the Bible says he told her to go into a room and shut out all the distractions. He told her to go into the room and just take you and your family and pour out whatever little you have left before God and watch him work a miracle in your life. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've been struggling with. I don't know what, what you have left in your life, but if you have just a little bit of faith, God can take that and he can fill your life. God can take that and he can make you full again. When you see these choir members, when you see these musicians, when you see pastor and first lady, you see the sound men, you're looking at vessels that were once empty. You're looking at vessels that were once broken and they took it and they laid it at the feet of Jesus. They poured what little faith they had into it and God worked out the rest. She had a debt that needed to be paid. The creditors were coming and they said it's time to owe for the sin that you've committed. The life you've been living, it's time for you to pay up. Anybody ever feel sometimes like you just, there's nobody there, but it almost feels like you're being traveled, tracked. It almost feels like there's somebody over your shoulders all the time. That's sin. That's the life you've been living. If you run down to this altar and you pour it out before Jesus, you repent of your sins. You repent of your sins. You get baptized in his name. And you receive his Holy Ghost. I'm telling you that you will not have to live a life that's empty anymore. You won't have to live a life that has no purpose anymore. You don't have to live a life that's broken anymore. So I'm going to say this last thing and then we're going to pray. The Lord told Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and to watch what the potter was doing. There was a piece of clay on the potter's wheel and it was broken. It was marred. Sometimes your life isn't just empty. Sometimes you come to God with a broken vessel. Sometimes we come to God with scars. 
Sometimes we come to God and we've said, our life is just in shatters. It's in shambles. It's, I got a piece over here. I got a piece over there. If you get on the potter's wheel and you stay on the potter's wheel, God will make it into something beautiful. God will make your life. He'll take it and he'll shape it into what he wants it to be. But you've got to yield your will. You've got to turn away from that past. You've got to turn away from that sin and say, you know what, God? I've tried it on my own for far too long. God, I've tried it on my own and I messed up. I've broken my life into pieces. God, I'm giving it to you. Come on, every saint of God, I need you to help me pray in this house. I need you to help me pray in this place. Come on, if that's how you feel, if you're ready to get your life full, if you want God to fill your life, I encourage you to come down to this altar. We're not going to make a scene. We're not going to make a spectacle. God just wants a relationship with his creation. God just wants a relationship. God will fill your life. God will make your life worth living. God will make your life worth, worth more than you could ever imagine.